Hello, and welcome to First Importance, the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis, Arkansas. Our prayer today is that you will be blessed and encouraged by the message to come. If you have your Bibles, would you join me in the Gospel of John in chapter 8? The Gospel of John in chapter 8. We'll begin in verse 12 today. As you're turning there with your hands and your Bibles, I want you to meet me with your minds and your memories a little bit further back in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In your Bibles and your hands, John chapter 8 and verse 12. But in your minds, let's go back with our memories to Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Where the scripture says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters, verse 3. And then God said, let there be light. The first words spoken into creation, and the first words recorded to us, from God, all of God's word, all of the Bible is God's word. But here we have a quotation mark, if you will. The first time that God speaks to his people, shares so much about his character, his first words, let there be light. And all of a the sudden there was, for the first time in all of time, there was light just like that at his command. What was invisible became visible. For the first time creation saw the light. The darkness was pierced. And this says so much about our God. God does not want you, his people, in the dark. Can I get an amen? He doesn't want you confused. He doesn't want you not in the know. God is a God of light. And his first words recorded to us in scripture are, let there be light. It's in that same spirit that when we come to our passage today, the same type of profound thing is said by the same one who called light into being in the first place. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 8 and verse 12, hear now the word of the Lord. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I am the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. 
if you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Would you pray with me, please? Father, please now use my weakness to preach the power of your gospel. And I pray that the lost will be saved today. All those who are hearing in this room and all those who are watching online, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for those who are lost. And Father, for those who are saved, I pray that today they'd be drawn closer to you because this is not a game. And we're not just here because we're supposed to be here every week. But Lord, we're here because we're desperate and we need a word from you. So Lord, as I desperately come to you as this preacher, I pray that you would speak through me. It's in the name of Jesus I pray these things. Amen. We are on the heels of an unexpected moment. Last week, our student pastor, John Blackford, took us through John chapter 7, verse 53 through 811, where it is recorded this spectacular, unexpected moment in the life of this poor lady caught in the midst of her sins. Theologians look at John chapter 7, verses 53 through 811 as what we call a floating pericope. It's a story, it's an account that in other times in the manuscripts appear in different places. And for that reason, many people have said that perhaps this is either out of place or doesn't belong. But the more that I read the Gospel of John, the more I am persuaded that this is the exact uh, right position that it ought to be in because uh, what we are being set in or the setting for what Jesus is about to say is a moment of profound darkness. Think about last week, the religious leaders of Israel, those who were supposed to have been the ones who led Israel to the Lord, who kept their faithfulness. Here, they were staging everything. They caught a woman in adultery. They had no concern for her life, no concern for her well-being, and they were using all of it just to entrap Jesus. Think about it. The unholy, using unholiness to try to trap the holy. It is a time of profound darkness. And though the Old Testament does give instructions to take care of sin and gives harsh judgments, none of it is frivolously done. None of it is done without the concern of the person's life and their well-being. All of it is done for a desire for justice and for atonement for sin, a, a hatred of sin. But these men that we discovered last week had no concern for this woman at all. They had no concern for Jesus. All they cared about were, the, were themselves. They were truly, as Jesus would later say, blind leaders of the blind. And it's here that Jesus makes this astounding claim. And we brush over it so quickly. We brush over it so easily and we just use it as like another kind of nighttime, bedtime story 
or maybe some kind of little saying that we can look at every once in a while. We brush past these words so quickly. I want us today, as we look in verses 12 and following, I want us to notice, I want us to notice three things. Number one, I want you to see the claim. The claim. Look with me in verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Light is used 24 times in the book of John already. It has been used 13 times. It is used more in the gospel of John than any other uh, book in the New Testament. It's a theme of the book of John. Remember, the book of John is written so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in his name. And so light is going to play a very important role in this book. Here Jesus makes an astounding claim by saying that he is exclusively the light of the world. What a statement. What a claim. If anyone here were to make that claim today, we would rightly question their sanity. If someone were to make the claim of being exclusively the light, the, the beacon of hope for the world, the sole bearer of knowledge and understanding, we would rightfully question their sanity. We would rightly try to discern whether or not this person was true or not. But Jesus had already done everything to illustrate to everyone that he had just that type of authority. By demonstrating these undeniable and miraculous works that we've already read so far. What all has Jesus done in the Gospel of John? He's turned the water into wine. I know it may not seem like a big deal to you guys. It was no party, no cheap party trick for Jesus to do this. Uh, when we studied this together, we talked about the joy that was brought back into this time. And so... Uh, uh, we saw that Jesus turned the water into wine. He's healed a paralytic from birth. Witnesses all over had seen this man who had not moved for years and years. And yet Jesus, with a word, brought healing to him. We've seen Jesus in the Gospel of John heal a young man who was on his deathbed from miles away. He had just spoke it from miles away. And the young man was healed. We've seen Jesus feed the 5,000. Again, no cheap parlor trick. Jesus is able to take a small handful of, of a meal and to feed 5,000 with it. We have seen Jesus walk on the water. So Jesus has illustrated publicly that he has the right to make this statement. That he is, uh, that he is the light of the world. Now, but what does this mean exactly? I want to give you, I want to give you two, uh, two indicators of what this really means. Now, there, when Jesus said he's the light of the world, we could spend the next few weeks looking at what all that means. But for the sake of time today, let's just look at, at two things of what this means. Number one, I think it means hope. Hope. Without light, there is no sight. If all the lights in this room were to go off, we'd still have the light of the sun outside of these stained glass windows. And it would still uh, uh, be okay in here. Have, have you ever walked into this sanctuary in the middle of the night? I've done it before. I'm never doing it again. 
if my son were to run in here in the middle of the night and there were no lights on, I'd tell Sarah, well, I guess we're waiting until the morning because I'm not going in there again uh, without turning on those lights. Without light, there is this sense of no hope, not being able to see. Jesus, when he says that he is the light of the world, what he's claiming is, he is saying that he is the exclusive hope of the world. And by the way, Jesus uses some very intentional Greek words here. Ego, I mean, he says, I am. The religious leaders would have understood Jesus to say that he is identifying himself with the great I am. God who spoke to Moses through the burning bush when he asked God in the burning bush, who should I say is sending me? God calls out to Moses, I am that I am. So Jesus is saying without mincing words here that he is God. He is saying that he is the hope of mankind. Friends, I want you to know that Jesus is the only hope of mankind. We've tried all types of things. We've put hope in governments and we've put hope in politics and we've put hope in economy and we've put hope in uh, the people that we gather around, but all of them will fall through. Our society has placed hope in education and placed hope in science and all of these things have their places. But friends, I want you to know all of them are false hope without Jesus. They have, they can not promise nor can they fulfill any promise that they could make. The hope for mankind is Jesus and it's not just Americans or white Americans. Christianity is not a white man's religion. When Christianity first spread, it spread in the Middle East and then down into Africa. You see, Christianity, we don't involve ourselves in, in these other things because we know that the only thing that can unite and bring hope is the blood of Jesus. Just that one color, that color red that Jesus bled for us. Jesus here says that he alone is the hope of the world. And here we see once again the vanity of what the church has pursued. Listen, we ought to be involved in politics. We ought to be involved in those things around us. But always remember this. Always remember this. The only hope for this world is Jesus. The only hope for West Memphis is Jesus. You know, we're, we're doing all kinds of these things in West Memphis. We're seeing businesses come here. But I want you to know this, friends. The only one that can bring life change is Jesus. Education is good. It's not sufficient. The most educated people in the world have done some of the most horrific things. The only hope is Jesus. And when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he's saying, I am the hope. There is no other hope. But I think he's also saying, he's also speaking of holiness. The world is covered in spiritual darkness. Don't believe me? Just look around. As people who have been born again, who have been brought into the light, just look around. The world is 
underneath spiritual darkness. We applaud everything that is wrong. We laugh at everything that is wrong. We appreciate every injustice. We are in complete and utter darkness, spiritually, morally, apart from Jesus. The world lies underneath spiritual darkness so much that they cannot see. And Jesus would say in John chapter 3 in verse 19 that this is the judgment of the world. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. The world lies underneath darkness and to that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. If you want to know what's right, look to the light. If you want to know what's right, don't look to every single uh, societal trend that pops up here and again. What's, what societal trend should I be a part of? No, we look to Jesus to see what is right and what is wrong. And when we look to Jesus, we're the first people to say, we have messed up more times than we can possibly count. We've gotten it wrong more times than we've ever could have even tried to get it right. Here, when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, he is saying that he is the Holy One. 1 John 1 verse 5 says this, this is the message that we've heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. This is the claim. It's a claim of exclusivity. So if you're in here today and you're relying on your good works to get you to heaven, or if you're watching online and you're relying on the, these different religious practices or this different religion to get to you to heaven, friends, I want you to know the only hope for the world is Jesus. He's the light of the world. But second, I want you to see with me the commitment. There's a promise that follows this. If he is the light of the world, he continues by saying, whoever follows me, and he says two things here, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Two things. If you're following Jesus, there's some things that you will not do, and there's some things that you will do. Now, Jesus doesn't break this down and say that maybe they won't, or maybe they will. These are definite, and these are words of Jesus. This is not a theologian speaking, and bless your heart, it's not Josh giving you his opinion because Lord knows you've had enough of that, and it doesn't do any good. This is Jesus' words, matter-of-factly. He says, if you are following him, there's some things that you will not do. Number one, he says, you will not walk in darkness. When I was a teenager, I grew up in a First Baptist Church of B.B. Arkansas. I thank God for the raising that I've had, the, the influences that I had in my life. But I grew up in an environment all, that was all across the nation that really taught uh, that there was a different type of, uh, that you could ask Jesus into your heart to be your savior, but that, and that would be enough to save you, but that later you needed to ask him to be your Lord, okay? And so I remember one time at camp, talking to um, a counselor and saying, you know, I still got this sin in my life, this struggle in my life. I've been following Jesus for some time. I've asked him into my heart, what do I do? They said, well, have you asked him to be your Lord yet? And I was like, I thought that's what I already did. 
I thought when I gave my life to him, it was about that. And because of that, we have this world where we believe, even, even in evangelical Christianity, there's a such thing as a carnal Christian. Someone who can say that they've asked Jesus into their heart, but meanwhile they're living for the world. But Jesus says this, if you follow me, you will not walk in darkness. So let me ask you a question. Who are you really following? Because it just, it's logically true that if we're following the light of the world, that we will be in the light. But a lot of people who claim to follow Jesus are not walking in the light, but they're walking in the darkness. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, in verse 8, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Colossians 1 and verse 13, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. 1 John 1 verses 5 through 6, this is the message that we've heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. The sad truth is, though I preach it every single week, there are people even in the pews, there are people watching from home who've been members of First Baptist Church for a long time. And I'm not calling out specific people because I don't know your hearts. I don't know you. I've got enough to deal with on my own heart. But there are people who have been counting on a membership name on a roll or they've been counting on a time that they were dunked. Or they've been counting on a time they wrote down, yes, I asked this at this time. But they're not walking in the light. You're walking in the darkness. And my, my concern for you is this, and it's plain. If you are walking in the darkness, that is, if you continue to sin without any conviction, without any grief over the sin in your life, if you continue to walk in darkness, you are not in the light. And you're not going to magically just like transform when you die. Like, I don't really love Jesus in his church right now, but when I die, something's going to miraculously change within me and I'm going to have new affections. What are you walking in? What are you following? Are you in the light? Jesus says, if you're following me, you will not walk in darkness. Now, let me just clarify this real quick, because none of us are perfect. That's not an excuse, that's just the truth. And I found out that I've been following Jesus for three decades now. And I found out every, every different stage of my life, I said, well, when I just get to this next stage, I won't, I won't struggle with sin anymore. Friends, it seems like the struggle gets worse and worse every year. I read uh, Clyde Cranford used to be a, a member here. He talked about personal holiness in a person in his book, Because We Love Him. And he said, the holiness in a person is not that you just quit sinning, but it's that you keep grieving sin. Don't be calloused about sin in your life, but grieve it. When's the last time you said, Lord, please forgive me. I'm sorry. I don't want that in my life. That anger that's there, that bitterness that's there, that gossip that's there, that lust that's there. I don't want that in my life. 
When's the last time you grieved about it? When's the last time you can say you look like David, a man after God's own heart, who, who cried day and night just saying, God, I need your presence. Jesus says you will not walk in darkness, but he continues to say you will do something. You will have the light of life. I know that in my own personal walk with Jesus, if it hadn't been for the Holy Spirit, who knows, it's like that lighthouse on If it weren't for the lighthouse, tell me where else would I be? You know, I know that even in my own life, there's this sin that's in my heart, and yet the Holy Spirit always saying, wait, Josh, you're getting traffic. I told, told people this morning, if you want to get stopped by a red light, drive behind me every time. Every time. And it's like, okay, I guess, God, you're teaching me patience for the, I don't know, whatever 35 times 365 is. Uh, someone just like, someone just figured that out real quick in their heads. But, I mean, I guess every day of my life, Lord, you're teaching me patience because I've just not learned it yet. And so I'll, pull, and I'll always pull up right behind the car that I know when the light turns green, they're on their cell phone. Hey, guys, don't do that, Okay. Okay, because you're really testing my patience there. Because the light turns green, that's when you hit your, put your foot on the gas pedal and do like that, okay? We've got places to go. We've got people to say. And so I'll find myself, okay, what is the appropriate honk etiquette? I remember I've talked about it in the pulpit before. Like, what is the appropriate honk etiquette for a pastor? You know, I think the, you know, I think the bup up, I think the two bops, that's a polite, hey, excuse me. I know you're busy up there, but could we all just get along and move on? Uh, but some people, you know, sometimes you go a little bit further. You go, pop, pop. When you do that, that means something else. Listen, I don't want to get into all that, but I know that when I get frustrated in there and I want to say something and I want to do, I hear that in my heart. Hang on a second. Who do you belong to? When I get frustrated in the home, when things happen in my life, it's the Holy Spirit who's saying, wait, 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 who, who do you belong to? That's not conscience. That's the Holy Spirit in our hearts reminding us that we are children of a holy Father. He says here, if you follow me, you will not walk in darkness, but you will have the light of life. That's the commitment. Now, finally, I want us to see the condemnation. This will take just a few seconds to unpack, although if you are observant, you will notice in verse 13 that it is as plain as day. Even though it doesn't really come to fruition until verse 19, if you're really observant, you'll notice it in verse 13. Because Jesus has made this claim, and he's made this commitment. If you follow me, this is the way your life will look. This is the promise that you'll have. You'll have the light of life. But to those who don't follow him, there is condemnation. Verse 13, so the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. They just couldn't believe him. No, no, they just wouldn't believe him. They had no desire to believe him. 
constantly trying to trap him in his own words. Here they are again, taking his words from chapter 5 and verse 35, when Jesus had spoken of the need for a, a, a second testimony. The Old Testament required the testimony of two witnesses to validate it in court. But of course, their accusation is ridiculous. They're saying that just because Jesus is saying it by himself, that that testimony is untrue. The fact that there is not a second witness or that there appears not to be a second witness does not negate the fact that his statement is true. In fact, in a few moments, he will give us the second witness, and we've already been told of a third, and then all of his works and all of his power that's been displayed makes it evident, and yet they did not want to believe. Unbelief is never satisfied. If you persist down that road of unbelief, you'll never be satisfied. If God will just do this, if he'll just do that, and every time it just so happens in your life, well, now if he'll just do that or just do this, unbelief is never satisfied. So Jesus responds to them. They're stuck in their ways. Jesus says in verse 14, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true for I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. Jesus is making a very plain statement to them. Those people who claim to be followers of his father have no clue about him. The religious leaders who were supposed to be the ones in the prayer closets, who were supposed to be closest to the Lord, here they were standing in front of Jesus, st standing in front of the light of the world, and they stood still in unbelief. He says, you don't, basically, I kind of hear Jesus saying, you don't even know where you come from or where you're going. You certainly don't know where my father is or where I've come from or where I'm going. Jesus had been there in eternity past. He knew that. He knew where he was going. He was going back to the Father, only when he was going back to the Father, he would have made provision for you and for me so that we can spend an eternity with him in his fellowship, in his presence, in that glorious place called heaven. Verse 15, Jesus says, you judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Two things could be meant by this statement. When Jesus says, I judge no one. He could mean, I don't judge anyone by the flesh. Jesus doesn't judge by outward appearances. He looks into the heart. He knows every sin you've ever committed and every sin you will ever commit. He doesn't look on the surface. He goes deep and he knows everything about you and me. He knows more about us than we know about ourselves. And so he could be, he could mean by saying, I judge no one. He could mean that he judges no one according to the flesh. Of course, also, I think it's a mixture of the two. I think that he also means he's not come at that point to judge. Jesus had come the first time to bring salvation. And the judgment was that they didn't believe Jesus. And they would, they would stay in darkness. That would be the judgment. But the reality is that one day Jesus is coming to judge. One day he is believers. One day you will stand before him and give an account of every word that you've spoken. Believers, even though we've been covered by the blood of Jesus, we will, we will stand before him and, and give an account of what we have done in our lives. And it's not going to be a judgment seat for believers on whether or not you're going to heaven or hell, but it'll be a judgment seat based upon 
what we've done with what we have been given. But the whole world will stand before him in judgment. Every knee, the Bible says, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The most venomous person in the world who hates him, who says, I will never bow one day underneath the, the strength of his holiness and his presence. They will not stand. They will fall to their knees and they will confess Jesus is Lord. But it will be too late. Jesus says, I judge no one even, verse 16, yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I am the Father who sent me. Perfect unity between Jesus and the Father. Verse 17, in your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself. And the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Now look in verse 19. So their response to him, where is your Father? That's the one they say that they follow. And Jesus answered them, you know neither me nor my father. And if you knew me, you would know the father also. Here they are, blind, in darkness. The light has offered them hope and holiness. They've spurned him. They've turned him away. This condemnation they've brought upon their own selves. And Jesus says, you neither know me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He says they're bad at their own job. They're bad at what they say they're supposed to be good at. They don't know him. They don't know the father. But now we come to the context in verse 20. This is normally what I would share on the front end. But remember, we're still in the Feast of Booths, or right at the end of it anyways. And we are in the temple treasury, or the court of women. Now, in the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles, in this great large court, during this eight-day celebration, they would set up these huge torches on top of these pillars. And they would fill them every day with their fuel. And at nighttime, they would light them, and the light would be so bright that modern historians would say it would light up every courtyard in Jerusalem. They didn't have the, the lights that we have today. They didn't have all these things. They'd be completely dark at night. But during the Feast of Booths, there would be these four pillars of light. And people traveling into Jerusalem from far off would see the light those fires that were burning on top of those torches. You know what they'd be celebrating when they lit those fires? They'd be celebrating how God in the wilderness, back when God released them from Egyptian slavery, would lead them with a pillar of fire. They would know where to go. They weren't lost when they got to the Red Sea. God had led them there by a pillar of fire at night. And the only time that that pillar of fire ever went from before them, it went behind them to protect them from the armies of Egypt who were coming to kill them. All throughout their wandering, this pillar of fire provided light by night. It gave them protection. That gave them comfort. That reminded them of God's presence. And here, the people, the people of God, are standing in the place where these huge torches have been lit to remind them of God's presence. And they couldn't see 
its source right in front of them. So my question to you today is this. Who do you follow? What do you follow? Can your life be characterized by walking in the light as he is in the light? Or is your life characterized by you walking in darkness? Thank you for joining us for this episode of First Importance. We invite you to check out our other sermons on this podcast and to join us in person on Sundays at 8.30 or 10.45 a.m., as well as streaming live on Sunday mornings at 10.45. We hope to see you soon at First Baptist West Memphis, where we love God, care for one another, and share the gospel.